0: Today's episode is sponsored by the Academy for Virtual Teaching. The Academy for Virtual Teaching is a community of creative entrepreneurs building proficient, profitable, and professional online teaching businesses. Are you ready to invest in your business by adding online education to your income stream? The Academy for Virtual Teaching can help you overcome your fear of technology and use educational video as part of an effective marketing strategy so learn how at the academy for virtual teaching that's a4vt.com thank you so much to the academy for virtual teaching and now here's the show Welcome to episode 254 of the Craft Industry Alliance podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Craft Industry Alliance is a community for craft professionals where you can strengthen your creative business, stay up to date on industry news, and build connections within our supportive trade association. Check it out at craftindustryalliance.org. Today on the show, we are talking about craft parties and events with my guests, Christy Troxel. Christy is a master maker and creative professional specializing in the craft and party industries. In 2012, she founded Ritzy Parties and grew a five-star business creating immersive over-the-top celebrations for luxury and corporate clients nationwide. Christy also works closely with dozens of major global creative brands, retailers, and manufacturers as a strategist, Designer, trend forecaster, and social media partner. So, Christy Traxel, welcome. Thank you. Nice
1: it is so you. nice
0: to have you. Yeah, and we first met actually in person, which was so lovely at H and Americas when you did some wildly successful demos in our booth. <laughs> and <laughs> was I, was like, <laughs> I was like, I was like, what is this person like? There's a line, and there was literally a line the entire time and I was so impressed. <laughs> so I'm very excited to learn your story and a little bit more about you and how you make this magic happen. So um yeah, That's if it's okay it. with you, let's start start by telling me what Ritzy Parties is all about. Like start in the now. What um what do you do with like planning these parties for um yeah, for big corporate clients and and other people as well. So
2: Currently, yeah, I'm, I'm servicing luxury and corporate clients. And it kind of grew from, you know, lots of different kinds of parties to me segmenting my business into that because I just have the most leeway, the most ability to kind of use my skills when I have these larger budgets and the clients know me and they're willing to let go a bit of the process and they get these immersive events where everything that you experience when you come into that is intentional, what you're seeing, tasting, hearing, feeling um, it's all created, you know, and it's, it's, it's a long process. And I, I bring the vibe. I don't know how to describe it, but I get basically a theme. We have a few discussions, some image boards go back and forth until we feel like we're really on the same page. And then I just come in and kind of, wave the wand around and I have a team that helps and we install in the morning where they're all day getting ready. And then, you know, the party time will hit and everything goes off great. And we tear it down the same day. So it really is just like, I kind of like Santa's elves is what I feel like we come in and do. And, you know, they, they seem to be very happy with the outcomes. I
0: have a great time. The team has a great time.
2: And uh so, yeah, it's a great joy to be able to do that.
0: And like, I'm so I have to admit that I am like a terrible party person. So I'm terrible at planning parties. And I'm also like a terrible party participant, <laughs> because I just come and talk to one person the whole time. And I, I'm just sort of a shy person. So I'm actually curious to know, like, what makes for a good party? Like, what have you found are the elements that really make one of because I'm sure you've had some that have been less successful and some that have been more successful. So what makes for one of these events that really does work?
2: So I do really try to keep the behaviors of the individual audience in mind when I'm planning. And I like to create different stations throughout the event that you are kind of compelled to go check out. There's definitely some signage and some things that drive people, you know, will make sure that they understand through the messaging that I put out or through, you know, I have environmental entertainers who will engage the crowd and pull them over to those areas. But I like to keep the the flow going so that there's different things to experience. You know, there might be a photo op. There might be an activity. There might be a specialty food station or a dessert station, a specialty drink station. I try to separate the bars. We often have a lot of uh, gaming and swag tables, entertainers. So I just really like to keep it going. I've even done once in the middle of a party, we started with a DJ And then about an hour and a half into the party, we brought in another DJ and it was like we dropped a party on the party and the tempo came up really high with that second DJ. We just kept him for a couple hours and then we closed out with the first DJ. So just always a surprise. You know, we throw in just a lot of engagement, uh, things to do, things to see. The more you look, the more you experience. And we send them home with just armloads of little memories and tokens that they can enjoy afterward.
0: Yeah, and I feel like those different stations sound like, um, you know, you would have a memorable experience because you, you know, even if it was goofy or whatever, later, you know, when you're looking back or remembering that event with your friends or the people that you were there with, you'd be like, oh, remember that thing that we did together. And those, um, yeah, those experiences seem like it, it, it's more um memorable than just having like a plain dance floor and like a buffet and that's it, you know? Yes.
2: <clears throat> yes. It really is about putting a dome over that crowd and making sure that everybody is tended to within that dome. So it's designed to engage everyone. And even our introverts, we make sure that we're thinking of that. We know that not everybody is, you know, going to jump out onto the dance floor first, but we make sure we just, there's no party guests left behind. <laughs>
0: Okay, so I would love to hear how like you got to this point and um, decided that you know, planning these events and experiences was really your strength. So let's take us back now. Where did you grow up and what were you like as a kid? Were you always, I mean, you're quite extroverted now from what I can see, were you always this way? <laughs> were you always Did you love birthday parties as a kid? or what what were you like? Were you crafty too as a child? So,
2: I was very extroverted as a kid. I always have been very, um, you know, just say the thing or just talk to the people or, you know, talk out of turn. (laughs) So, I was kind of known for that in school. Uh, My fifth grade teacher called me a party animal on my progress (laughs) report. My parents did not like that, but he was absolutely right. Thank you, Mr. Reimer. (laughs) He was right about me. I, I do love parties, I love that that gathering of people and that energy and the fact that you know parties are a time when everybody's really happy it seems to me that the celebrations are you know it's it's so much fun to be part of that energy of people because it's just everybody's there for the same purpose which is to be entertained and have fun
0: and, and uh, tell us a little but, bit about your family and where where did you grow up did you I know you live yeah, in California so, now
2: I am a California native. I'm actually an Orange County native. I grew up in Orange and then Anaheim Hills. And my family, I was adopted when I was three. And the family I grew up in was not, they didn't really appreciate my, my charming ways. (laughs) There was a lot of stifling. My parents were very, uh, you know, they wanted me to have solid skills and they didn't really understand the creativity or the the need for glitter or the not really being that interested in math. (laughs) So I can't say I was always super supported, but it absolutely made me tenacious because there is just something in me that must create and must, you know, pursue these interests of mine. And so, you know, I defiantly did this and actually ended up finding my family, my biological family when I was older and lo and behold, my biological mother had a craft room that envied my own, all the same kind of style of stuff. It it was so validating. Her whole side of the family are artists, crafters. And I was like, it is in the blood. Like, this is so cool. And I felt like I just, you know, I had come full circle. And so I'm glad that I never, you know, really let it go. I am I am compelled to create and constantly swimming with ideas and must have all the supplies. I, you know, I'm across all different craft uh specialties. i just skills coming out of the skills and no explanation for it. Nobody can figure it out. But that, that made it make a lot of sense.
0: Yeah. Wow. That's a neat experience. I'm glad that you were able to connect and have that for you know, for yeah, that that's wonderful. So, um, so I, and I also can. I think a lot of our our listeners, myself included, can relate to that feeling of always wanting to create things and not necessarily loving math. Um, although you know, listen, there are <laughs> math loving craft people out there. But um, so when you when you um graduated from high school, what did you want to do? And and you know, what did you think maybe your career aspirations would be?
2: So my first career aspiration ever, I wanted to be a lawyer, and this was kind of squished by the family, and, you know, it was going to take a lot of school, it was going to be really hard, it's very competitive, so then my next choice was interior designer, also squished out. They really wanted me to pursue business, and so this is what I followed because, you know, I think my parents had my best interest at heart, and they wanted me to be able to have skills that I could always survive on. And so I pursued business and uh, accounting and bookkeeping, things like that. So for the first 20 years of my career life, uh, I just slowly rose the ranks of, uh, you know, going from an office manager up to bookkeeping, up to uh, I managed executive suites. And then I was an operations manager. Then I just it, it just kept kind of stone stepping until uh, I was a corporate controller by the end of my career and I was running finance and operations for this engineering firm that had three different uh, separate businesses that I kind of ran congruently together. I just facilitated the purchase of a building for them and I was having my second child and I just decided I didn't want to go back to that. I was so bored um, the repetition of it like I Clearly understood how to do it and had climbed kind of this ladder of you know getting to a great point in my career. I was very, always very self-supportive, made my own money. Um, but I was really bored. And on the side of doing all of that, I was still creating. And I was the person you came to if you wanted your wedding done, or if you needed your house decorated, or if you were having a party and you needed unique ideas. I could make anything you wanted: uh, costumes, you know, home decor. Holiday gifts, food, candy, makeup, costume—you know, just it it was anything I tried. I that was creative. I just loved doing it. I I was hired to paint a mural on someone's wall, someone that I worked with. So it just was always kind of living on the side. And uh, around that time, after I had my daughter, I had a friend who she just really kept pushing me into it and saying, you know, you should do this as a business. You should do this as a business, and You know, I'm like, come on, we don't have to monetize everything. I can just do it for pleasure. But she really just kept pushing. And I finally, almost out of spite, was like, fine. I know how to start a business. That's what I do. So I'll start a business there. I filed articles. I'm a corporation overnight. There you go. I did this in September of 2012. And I just thought, you know, by the end of the year, I'll try to do like six parties. That'll be my goal, right? You got to have a goal. And so six parties was the goal. And I didn't know how I was going to do it or if I could even achieve that. By the end of 2012, I had done 27 parties. And I had a pipeline for the next year. And people absolutely were buying it. And they loved it. And I wasn't advertising. It was all word of mouth. It was, you know, someone had been to something and they all wanted the number of who did it. And that's kind of how it initially grew into the party planning business. Uh, probably, I don't know, maybe a year to two years into that, I sort of thought I would be doing better, right? Because of all of that activity. But what I realized is that I had been so excited to have new business and build this portfolio of pictures that I was giving people great deals. And I was kind of not charged. Sometimes I was just breaking even. I think on one party, I even lost money, but I just really wanted those pictures so I could have this Amazing portfolio of what I could do because I hadn't really done it for a long time, right? I wanted to be able to show what I could do. Like vacation pictures, nobody wants to see that. (laughs) Nobody has ever asked me to see my portfolio, not even once. And about two years into it, I realized I was just kind of spinning my wheels and that people really wanted to know that I could do their party. And they already had been to a party that I'd done. So they know that I can do parties. They only want to know. That I can do their party, and so I started focusing more on that. Uh, I also started. I I was kind of lonely, you know. It's a solo business what I'm doing until it's time to bring in the team. Uh, It's just me, and so I didn't have coworkers. I had nobody to bounce ideas off of, and I thought, you know, I need a a community. I joined a networking group that was pretty high level to kind of get you know myself out there and have something to do once a week and other professionals to connect with. And then I realized I should connect with professionals in my own industry. So I started looking for conferences and trade shows that served the party industry or the creative industries. And so that's when I started going to some conferences and that's where I met brands. And when you're extroverted and you have a business background and you like to talk to people and you do good work, the brand work comes quite simply to you because, you know, you can make those connections and then uh, foster those deals. And so I was picked up almost immediately at my first conference by Oriental Trading Company. And that was a nine-year relationship that, you know, I was one of their top bloggers. We, I was one of about 30 people nationwide who created content for them uh, for Party, Wedding, and craft. And just an amazing community of women, an amazing team. And once you're on a great team like that, you know, the other brands came in. So I started working with Eva. Before,
1: before
0: we get to the other brands, I just wanted to go yeah. back to, to Oriental Trading. So for people who aren't clear about what, what that is, can you explain what Oriental Trading Company is? Sure.
2: They are the nation's number one online party retailer. So it's kind of like Party City meets... Uh, I don't know, like Target meets Walmart meets Dollar Tree, and it's all in one place on orientaltrading.com, then they developed the fun squad and that was us. And so they have another website. I think a lot of people maybe aren't aware of. It's where you get all the inspiration and the images of what you can do with their products. And that website is called fun365.com. And so that's where a lot of our content went, but it's using all of the products from Oriental Trading Company.
0: Okay. And was this a paid position? Like, was it adding to your income? Or was it just giving you that network in the experience?
2: No, this was a a very well paid position. Yeah, I would say that. uh, Yeah, in in the, you know,
0: in the 1000s every month. Wow. Okay. So and it sounds like you did this for a long time. And it really helped to connect you. Where did you actually meet them at first? I know you were going to some different events. Did you which event? Do you remember where you met them? I do. It
2: was a party conference, but actually it's not around anymore. It's called Bash. And okay. that was in 2015. I went to that. It was just for the party industry. But what happened is I started taking interest in other conferences for creatives. And so I went to the Snap Conference and then I brought mm-hmm. Oriental Trading to the Snap Conference ah, Okay, among, among other brands. And so, you know, we kind of just always have collaborated together on things like that too grow awareness of each other. I think it was a very great symbiotic relationship. And, you know, I was so fortunate to work with such a great team. My my initial yeah. photos too, they were horrible. Like that's one of my favorite stories is they gave me my first assignment. I was so excited. It was a mermaid party. And I submitted my pictures for my my DIY and my full party and my other DIY. And I got an email back that essentially said, honey, no, <laughs> this, is <not laughs> how we do, this is not how we do it. And, uh, you know, the, I could tell they were just like, wow, absolutely not. Here's a class. <laughs> they actually directed me and, and paid for me to take a, a full-on photography class. It was taught by Candice at My Mind's Eye, which is a paper creative company um, that makes lots of fun party stuff. And I, it was like a language opened up and suddenly I understood how my camera worked so much better. Um, so if I ever, you know, need a moment of humility, I love to look back at those original pictures and then look at my pictures now and realize what a gift that was that I had a brand that not only picked me up and was willing to work with me, but also willing to kind of let me grow with them, which was so
0: appreciated. I want to take a moment now to talk with our sponsor, Lyric Kennard of the Academy for Virtual Teaching.
1: Hello, I'm with the Academy for Virtual Teaching and I'm Lyric Montgomery Kennard.
0: Hi, Lyric. So I'd love to learn more about the Academy for Virtual Teaching. How does it work?
1: Thanks, Abby. We have different levels of membership. It's a private community where we, as virtual teachers, support each other in developing our businesses. There's a lively discussion that's always going on. We have a free level, but we also have a business development level where we have just ongoing amazing workshops. We have live workshops every month that will help you build your business whether it's learning how to better use Zoom, how to do email marketing. We have all kinds of equipment recommendation videos. In the pro-level membership, you have the opportunity to do hands-on exercises, hands-on workshops with experts who can help you build that part of your business. But there's also an entire library of previously recorded workshops available as well.
0: Right. So if you want to add online teaching to the repertoire that you currently have, this is the way to go because you get a community and expertise and all the answers to your questions.
1: Yeah, we have so much more available there. I especially want to point out that for members of the Craft Industry Alliance, because you are all amazing makers. And if you have that desire to share what you create, with other people and add that kind of online teaching to your business, I have a one third off coupon for our professional development level membership.
0: Wonderful. Wow, that's terrific. So I think this is a great addition to anybody's business, um, a way to reach new audiences and um, yeah, really grow your bottom line. So this is great to know about Lyric. Um, Thank you so much.
1: We'd love to have you all join us. Thank you for having me here. Thank you so much to the Academy for
0: Virtual Teaching. And now back to my conversation with Christy. And so obviously, you grew in your photography skills tremendously, it sounds like what other ways do you feel like you grew through those many years that you collaborated with Oriental Trading?
2: I mean, for sure, the community of women who were also like me, it was like I had found a a tribe of unicorns, you know, we were all these, uh, you know, hyper creative, just the ideas that come out of these people. It it was like, we all spoke the same language, we all liked the same uh, ideas, there was not, you know, among women, there can often be like, a gossipy, or, you know, just talking about things that aren't that important. But these women all just talked about ideas. And you know, future trends, and what do you think is coming? And what colors do you like? And What's your favorite holiday? It was just so refreshing to be among women who were driven and who really cared about things other than, you know, uh, other people and just talking about them. They, They cared about creating the same things I'm creating, which is we know that we're engineering memories. We know that we're creating this surround that people are going to come into that and experience something. And we're trying to do it intentionally, because we know how important that is. So I think that was uh, one of the best things about it. I made some of my best friends from that.
0: I love that idea of engineering memories. I think that really um, sums up what you're uh, trying to accomplish so well. So that's, that's great. Um, Okay, so um, it sounds like you brought Oriental Trading to SNAP. And then through um, your experience and success with them, you connected with other brands. So let's get to that part now.
2: Yeah, I mean, partly through through them and partly through the other conferences, like Snap had their own sponsors and I was meeting them too. Then I started being invited to come to the uh, Crafted Hobby show, which at the time was CHA or, or yeah, it was CHA back then, Craft and Hobby Association. and that was a trade show that's very different than a conference. And I think that's important to note when you're looking for community conferences are more social. They're more geared toward, you know, your community and your expertise. So like if you went to the knitters conference, you would find a lot of people who like to knit. They might be business owners. They might be knitting enthusiasts. They might be some retailers, but primarily they're all there as guests of that industry. Uh, CHA, Is kind of like H&H. It's a trade show. People are there to buy. The manufacturers and retailers are there to display. They're there to show you what's coming for the year, you know, and and as a designer, you don't want to interrupt a conversation at a trade show between a buyer and a, a retailer or a manufacturer because that would be very bad. (laughs) but the opportunity for me at those shows was a lot of those companies hire demonstrators to bring the vibe to the booth and to make it exciting and to kind of show how to use that material. Being multifaceted crafter, I could work with almost any brand and bring people to their booth just by being in the booth and showing people how to do things because I will talk to I'll pull you in from the aisle I will go find people and tell them what I have coming up and I will show up with a crowd because they're excited you know to be part of that because I'm bringing that party in that dome that I talk about that is with me everywhere I whoever's around me is in the dome
0: and so yeah totally and I, I I'd love to hear like From those experiences, and I'm sure you've observed other demos because you're right. Like when you go to a trade show, you walk around and demoing things in the booth is part of what, you know, brands need to do to show people, okay, this is the new ruler. This is the new, you know, material, the new notion, whatever it is and allow people to sort of get a sense of it, especially for retailers, right? So that they can decide, oh, I love this. I want to bring this project, this material to my my shop. Um, So those demonstrations are key. Um, It's almost as important as having a sample when you're trying to sell a pattern or trying to sell something. People need to see what is it going to look like. Um, And this is an experience that people have of doing it themselves. So from from your experience of demonstrating and watching other demonstrations, what makes for a good demonstration? How do you create that dome you're talking about?
2: I mean, definitely you want to have a demonstrator who is comfortable talking to people. You know, there's a lot of uh, demos I've seen where the person is good at the craft or they're good, you know, at being enthusiastic about the craft, but they're not great at engaging. You know, that person is a salesperson for your booth. And so I think that's a, a key element is that they be comfortable and very inclusive and able to, you know, just call someone and say, hey, would you like to join us? You know, you have to be comfortable uh, inviting and, and yeah. be welcoming. So I think that's very important. Uh, someone who is understands that people who come up for that demo need a lot of handholding. They need patience. And so designing demos that don't take a long time or, you know, things to consider like dry time or, uh, you know, if you're working with paint or glue or something, you need to think about, you know, how long is the person going to be here? Those demos, they need to be quick and snappy because you want to move people in and out of the booth so that there is a lot of flow. And I think bright and colorful, you know, on your display, it makes people in the aisle they peek their head out like a gopher, like, what's going on over there? You know, you see that it starts to gather. And so you want to build on that with color, put a lot of supplies on the table, you know, have some of your friends stand around it so that it looks like something's going on. Inevitably, that's going to draw lots of people to the booth because once something's going on, everyone wants to know what's going on. And then, of course, a fun and engaging something something they can take away, something they can wear so that other people see that branding on them. I love like a wearable little piece of art or something that goes on the lanyard, a necklace, a bracelet where someone goes, where did you get that? Oh, I just made mm. it, you know, and it's, it's a conversation piece, the item that they take away. So I think even just down to the colors and the the energy of what you're making is very important to, you know, once that person goes back out to the show floor, people are going to want to know where they got that thing. And, and then they come see you.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And that um, FOMO is huge, right? So as soon as kind there's of, a yeah. lot, li- yeah, as soon as there's a line, as soon as there's a crowd or a group, um, you know, people are walking up and down these aisles, and they they immediately are curious, like what's going on over there. And it's just like a psychological thing that human beings do where a crowd is forming, and we're curious what is yes. the, you know, why, why is there crowd forming? I want to know, I want to, you know, maybe be part of it. I don't want to miss out yes. on whatever is happening. And so you, you really um, need to create that. Yeah.
2: Yes. And the inviting is important because that's where we get our introverts to come over because the, our introverts are at that show for the same reason. They're there to discover creative things. And if you have a demonstrator who's willing to identify that person who might not be so effervescently talking to everyone and say hey would you like to join us for a creative activity it's free this often will create amazing conversations with people that would never start one and once they're in the booth and there's people around now they're being surrounded by new friends they have the opportunity to kind of make one-on-one connections so I just think it fosters a great sense of community and being part of, of something so again it's it's a party. I
0: I bring that party to the booth. Right, exactly. And and honestly, when they look back and remember their time at the show, they will remember having made that resin, dried flower pendant or whatever it was, you know, in that booth because they got to take it home and they talked to people. And as you said, it was a memory that you engineered for them. Yes, yes, very much so. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So um so you started coming to the craft trade shows and it sounds like did some other brand collaborations as well. Um so in your estimation as somebody who has worked with a variety of brands over many years what makes for a good brand collaboration, both from the brand side, as far as what they are providing and, and how they're structuring the relationship, and also from the sort of content creator side, as far as like what you're providing and and what you're um, contributing to that relationship?
2: Right. So I think that needs to be really clearly laid out from the onset. I think there are a lot of brands who rely on, you know, uh, a trade of product for, you know, a post or a trade of product for images or social media content. So it's definitely important to stay up to date on your social media if you want to work with brands, because if a brand gives you a product, they want you to talk about it. That is implied. It's never just free stuff. Um, if you're accepting, you know, something from a booth and they've they've given it to you at a show, the understanding is that you're going to do something with it and talk about it. So every one of those items is a small obligation. I think the thing that people don't understand is that these brands are watching their social media, like Hawks. If you are consistently calling out a brand that you love and it's organic to your business, that's a great p- person to pitch. You know, if you're looking to work with a brand, it's the stuff that is natural to you. So I don't really work with any brands that don't, you know, fit into my listening or my realm. <laughs> um, I definitely work with brands that, you know, I can create party stuff with or holiday stuff with. I I am not a soft (laughs) arts person, so I don't really work with yarn or embroidery or quilting. So I would never pitch those brands because it's not very organic to what I do. It's not authentic for me. Um, Could I? All day, I could, but it just doesn't really feel right. And I think they'd be better off with a content creator who really resonates with their product and can talk about it deeply. You know, I can talk about paint, glitter and glue deeply (laughs) makeup, you know, cake baking stuff like all of that. I'm your girl. Um, Anything where it's a party favor or something to enhance your holidays or decorate something for your home. um, You know, I'll do those kinds of posts. And so I think that's a really important element is make sure it's a good match to you and that it feels, you know, very authentic to who you are because the social media audience can tell when you're just the front person and it's not, you know, they're not going to go for that. I think another thing for brands to understand is your social media representative is not your salesperson. Uh, That is a marketing placement and the ROI is often difficult to determine like what it will be you know, it takes time. Social media is like a snowball. You build it now, but it keeps building for years. Like once you create that piece of content, it may not hit immediately, but it lives on the internet forever. I've seen Pinterest posts go insane, like five years later, right? Because a trend will emerge. And now people are looking for that thing that you did five years ago. A lot of social media creators, including myself, are trend forecasters. So the things I think are cool are typically two to five years ahead of their time. I'll give you a great example. I pitched, okay, so I'm a Halloween lover, like, and I love freaky Halloween. I love scary Halloween and I love cute Halloween. Like All Halloween is my jam. And so one year for Oriental Trading, I pitched a scary doll graveyard. This was like five years ago. And they were like, Christy, you've scared one of our team members. Like, this is not our audience. They will not like this. This is too over the top. I'll tell you, I was like, okay, I'll tone it down. No big deal. I understand. I'm just, I'm just telling you what the brain says to do, right? Five years later, they carry an entire line of scary dolls and scary doll graveyard and, you know, creepy, everything doll heads. And they asked me to come back and do the post now, you know, but you can see that that's just, I knew that was coming. So, you know, sometimes I think it's good for the brands to kind of trust what the, the people who live in the world of design are experiencing because by the time it hits mainstream we're already kind of over it. You know, it's like by the time gnomes, you know, hits its peak, we are already on disco balls. Like you know, we're looking we're at the next thing. And it's because we have that core community of women who are coming up with those ideas that fuel Pinterest we know what's next. We know what colors we're onto. We know what we're tired of because we've already been doing it, you know, for quite some time. And so I think a little trust, you know, and understanding that, you know, your social media doesn't immediately impact your sales. It impacts your presence and your optics for your company.
1: And so it's something
2: that's, it's alive and it's always needing to be tweaked and looked at modified, see what's working. I love analytics. Uh, you know, behind the scenes data is like, makes me so happy to put that together with, you know, actions that we're doing and then come up with better actions to keep momentum going and growing.
0: And you are speaking of Halloween, you've done some events that have been entirely online, which is a very different um, sort of s- I don't know, sort of setting than doing something in person. Um, but you kind of hopped on this idea of the metaverse when maybe some people were unsure about it or just unfamiliar with what it meant. Um and it, it sounds from from talking to you like the first one, the first metaverse event you did which I think was a little bit closer to pandemic times, um, was really successful. And now it's sort of changed a little bit. But talk to us a little bit about doing those online events and some of the advantages of it, some of the difficulties that it presents. Um, do you think it's going to last? I'd love to hear more about that.
2: So, I yes, I learned about the metaverse. I had a friend and we were interested in creating an online event because we saw with COVID, you know, gatherings, you know, that decimated my party business for a while. I was doing micro parties and driveway parties and just trying to find ways to stay afloat. I I shifted heavily into the working with brands and then all the supply chains dried up and we're like, what do we do? What can we do about this and how can we foster connection when we can't leave the house? Like this is horrible, especially for an extrovert. I'm like, I need to get out and be around people. I'm I'm dying on the vine over here. So we found a platform that was based in the metaverse and created this online conference that anyone in the world can attend just by logging in. It's really a lot like logging into Facebook or logging into Instagram, except it's a world. It has walls. It's a 3D immersive mm. land. And we designed it. Like we we went in, you know, you can go to online conferences that are in buildings with an avatar, but we went in and I threw a ritzy party over the building change the color of the sky, change the walls, change the avatars to witches and monsters and Draculas, you know, and then all of the content was my high influencer creative friends. They created video content that was all Halloween based. And so I programmed this all onto a stage and created a 12 hour day of global connectivity. Then I pulled in my brands and there was a sponsor hall and another sponsor hall. They all had booths. And if you clicked the booth, you could be face to face from anywhere you were, Orange County for me, talking to Mumbai, India, live, face to face on camera. We're both at the same event. We had a costume contest, scavenger hunt, uh, you know, a selfie wall. With We asked people to attend the event from their house or their phone in a costume because it, it added to that, you know, authentic connection. I'll tell you, it had the same energy as a real conference. It was not as widely attended as I had hoped. I think our ticket price was a little high. So this year I tried to revamp it and get more attendees in. But I think the challenge this year was that the demonstrators who had talked about it so much last year, they already did it and all of our friends already came. And so it was very difficult to get new people into it because the people who created it were kind of over it. (laughs) You know, yeah, I had in a lot of new brands thinking, you know, this was just a great way for them to kind of test drive that, you know, that platform and that technology. Um so I think that aspect was cool. You know, the event itself is flawless. Like, you know, the the timing and the the way that it worked was great. But yeah, attendance wasn't high. And I think part of the reason too, it it is before it's time. Uh, when I tried to explain, to a lot of sponsors, like what this was, you know, the, the general reaction is like, wow, that is so cool. So, so where does it take place? And the answer is in your brain, really. It's, it's, you're looking at a screen and it's 3d and it's immersive, but you're at your house. It takes place wherever you are. This is hard to sell to people over 30 or 40. (laughs) Like They just, it's so spatial and it's so futuristic and I think they're like nervous about it because they don't really understand it fully so that definitely is part of the challenge but I think just like the doll party I think in a few years people are going to look back and be like whoa wait a minute what <laughs> um,
0: and what, it, what is ca- the name catch uh, what is, yeah what is the name of the platform if you don't mind sharing because I I think maybe some people might want to try it and check it out maybe for a different craft niche, you know?
2: Yeah. I mean, there are many, uh, the platform is called V fairs and it's V okay. fairs, like be like Victor, uh, okay. mm-hmm. highly recommend the company. Cool. What we did was go in and design over their, sure. you know, their existing like environments, basically, like you go in and you pick an exterior walk up and then you pick a lobby and then you pick a, you know, a hall, a theater you pick, you know, another lounge area, and then you kind of put your custom stuff on that, like your signs, your banners, and that's it. That's your basic, you know, creation of an event. We changed every single thing. This was Halloween fantasy land. I mean, spiders were crawling on the walls, ghosts were floating by, a witch flew over, you know, it, it was something entirely else. I actually love to do that. That was my goal was to keep doing that for the brands. You know, I could create the the yarn and knitting needle conference and make every room themed, you know, and and come and take the ritzy party and throw it over this in, you know, electronic environment and right. make it very immersive online because it's data. You can do anything. You know, the building, our building looked like a cauldron and it had it bubbled and it steamed and it, you know, really had a a lot more to it than what you would get from just starting a conference.
0: Right. Uh, it yeah. was cre-
2: it was creatively, you know, uh formed.
0: Yeah, totally. So maybe ahead of its time, but um but something to consider, to continue to consider um, as, you know, time goes by and maybe people become somewhat more comfortable with a little bit more of an immersive. I mean, I think we're all very comfortable now with Zoom, with um, seeing online education, for example, as just as valid as in-person education. And there's actually advantages to it because you can be in your own studio and have your own um, materials and your comfortable chair and all the rest. Um, so there's, yes. there's pieces of it. And you can have a, an instructor who's in Australia. Meanwhile, you're in the US or whatever. So there's a lot of um, things about it that are really special. And, and so maybe as time goes by, some of these um, platforms will kind of continue to, you know, to be interesting and a more immersive experience might even become something people are really seeking out. So that's good. Thank you for yes. sharing about it. It's, it's really uh, interesting to hear about. And um, I also wanted to talk about um, disability representation in the crafts industry and inclusivity, um, because I know this is uh, something that we all could work on and do more of. And I wondered if you could talk, because it's something that is, you're passionate about. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit about the importance of representation and inclusivity.
2: Yes, Absolutely. So as I was adopted in that family as a child, I had some medical issues and I basically had to face the, the prospect of, I, I had several surgeries and this left me with a loss of mobility. And that was a degenerative thing that kind of, you know, got a little, just slightly worse, like year after year. And I just am such an adaptive person that you know i've worked around it but at this point the way that i attend these shows is on a mobility scooter because i cannot walk that floor and you know i don't want to run out of strength or endurance during the day uh, i don't want to ever fall down you know because i got too tired or i'm going too fast and so the scooter really helps me get around uh what i found though is that there are not a lot of people like me at these shows who are you know at the same level and i know that A large portion I think I estimate at least 30 percent of the creative community has some form of disability that prohibits them from attending these shows and part of it is the travel itself you know the planes Mm -hmm. uh, or the transportation another thing is budget I think a lot of people you know who are disabled don't have the extra funding because it's expensive to be disabled um and then the access at the shows, you know, these are crowded and a lot of the uh, activities and the stages and the, there's no access. I have never seen a ramp to the stage. And I've been a speaker where I couldn't get on the stage because there was no access for me. Um, and so I think it's, it's you know, of all the groups that we're cognizant of, this disabled group is one that is not really talked about a lot. I think a, a large reason is, Disability is such a broad term. You could be hearing disabled, visually impaired. You could be mobility affected. Uh, you know, we have autistic guests. We have you know, disability is is very broad. How do you encompass it? And I think just the main thing is that there's representation. You know, that we are looking to include disabled creators and disabled business owners in our panels, in our you know speaking uh, engagements, uh, hiring, you know, folks as demonstrators, giving, giving space where space is needed to, to have representation because it makes it okay for everybody else to see like, oh, I could go to this show. It is working. Um, and then another thing for sure is just inclusivity, you know, be willing to hear, from someone who's not having a great experience because of an access issue and be willing to look at it. You know, the way we create our websites, you know, using those alt text portions, like what that's for on a website is so that someone who's visually impaired can hear what the image is about. Uh, you know, and that that's very important if you are a person who needs that. Websites that don't think of that, you, you could be losing, you know, a great portion of your audience uh just because they can't understand or access parts of your site or they can't see it or they don't understand it um so yeah i just think being always inquisitive always looking at that as a consideration uh being inclusive of all sizes of people all genders you know just it's part of the inclusivity you know goal that we're all kind of looking to do is is make sure everybody has a seat at the table and i think this is one that can be uncomfortable to address but it needs to be because that's a, a huge part and there's estimates that in the next 10 years you know we're living longer than ever the the disability estimates mm-hmm. on what will happen to americans as we age is staggering and you know what disabled people who can't get up and go out and do lots of physical activities like to do? They, they like to do creative things that you can do sitting down and that you don't have to leave the house for. So it's a huge opportunity for the creative industry to address.
0: Absolutely. Thank you so much for sharing about that. And it's something that I want to keep in mind more. And I and I hope our listeners will as well. Um, so appreciative of that. And um I want to make sure we get to your recommendations um, because you have some really good ones. And one of them is being a content creator for a new streaming channel called Made TV Network. And we actually did a little article about it as well, but I'd love to hear your experience so far.
2: Oh gosh. Okay, so if if anybody is familiar with the magazine franchise, where women create, uh, the founder and visionary behind that is Joe Packham, and I met her almost immediately when I entered. She was one of the first people I met when I started in creative. So, uh, I think you know I started my business in 2012. I think I met her around 2015, and in 2018, I was featured in her magazine. Among many of my friends who have been, uh, and then recently, Joe sold the magazine and started putting all of that energy she has into this new streaming network called Made TV, which is basically the magazine. It's gone, you know, to video. So she engaged a lot of us content creators and creatives to uh, provide. Videos basically. So, what you get there is first a video about who each creator is. So, you get kind of some story. And then you get videos about where we create, including tours of our studios and, you know, that kind of thing. And then every month we're contributing content that is workshops. So, some of them are longer format. And you can learn anything from, you know, throwing pottery to junk jewelry bracelets to, uh, right now, there's a ton of like holiday workshops going on. I just did one uh, doing uh, wreaths and designer bows with wire. Uh, I've done holiday headbands with wacky stuff on top. Uh, other people are doing paint. And lots of your favorite creators are on there. So we have like Seth Apter and Kiki Johanny just, you know, people that cross all different levels of creativity and then we also do made in a minute videos. So they're a little quicker format, just a quick project. So it's like a channel that will very soon be available. Like kind of when you go on your Apple TV or your fire stick or whatever, you get all those little squares of the channels that you can choose from. Made TV will be a square that you can click on and it's an annual subscription. Um, I can give you guys a discount code after this. Uh, I have to go look up what it
1: is.
0: That would be great. A, we'll stick it in the show notes yeah, for, for folks. Yeah, yeah. perfect.
2: But that yeah, I'm sounds having great, great yeah. time doing it. And it's an amazing community. It's just growing and growing. So a great a great resource for anyone who loves creative content and wants to just watch it streaming on TV.
0: And you also have been playing with water marbling supplies from DecoArt. So um, speaking of H&H, they had a demo in their booth um, doing water marbling. I think they were doing some sneakers when I walked by. And I was like, this is the coolest thing. I want to do this immediately. So um, I'm jealous that you actually got the materials because I haven't done it yet. Oh,
2: my goodness. DecoArt is such a great company. They, you know, I've worked with their products for years because paint. (laughs) glitter paint like glitter galaxy paint is insanely cool uh but yeah they water marbling is kind of their newest thing i'll tell you on pinterest right now there's a ten thousand percent increase on searches for water marbled decor water marbled fabric Mm -hmm. um what they had done at h&h is -hmm. use the water marbling on fabric and then created an insane quilt out of that amazing one-of-a-kind fabric Uh, I'm using it on paper to create journal covers. I'm using it to, uh, you know, do things with cards, decoupage, jewelry, uh, just limitless, the things you can dip into the water marbling uh, stuff. And so, yeah, it's basically acrylic paint, specially formulated. There's an additive to the water and you drop the drops of paint onto the surface and then you can swirl them with a stick to create the most beautiful patterns uh, you can do flowers and hearts and, you know, just kind of the more you do it, the more you get better and better at it.
0: And yeah, talking do- about a talk about a party, I feel like I need to have people over and just all of us just play with us.
2: Yes, it's so much fun. And I love that they're selling kits for it. So you can find them on Amazon, you can find it in craft stores, you definitely need the magic medium. And there's a surface prep, these are like two little jars of stuff. And then just whatever colors of marbling paint. They also have like a rake and a a comb that can help you, you know, kind of pull through the paint and and make these insane like herringbone looking patterns or paisleys. Um, They have their own unique paper. Their paper is the best. Their their water marbling paper is just bar none.
0: So, yeah, having a super fun time with water marbling. Very cool. I, I'm like, I need to, maybe I'll get it for my birthday. (laughs) We can all do it together. um, So, and then your last um, recommendation is um, an art-based event that you're planning and it's called the Society of Wildflowers Conference. So tell us a little bit about what that's all about.
2: Yes. So, you know, I'm getting older in my crafts and my my life. And I wanted to do something a little more meaningful than just, you know, I create a lot of creative content and parties, but I wanted to do something that really had more impact. And something I've experienced in the creative community, when I go to all these shows and conferences is I meet the most amazing women. And I just I see that a lot of them are stuck or they're a little bit like apologetic for the space that they take up. and you know as me, the extrovert on the mobility scooter, I am anything but sorry for the space that I take up. I love being out around people and and I'm often asked like, how do you do this? How are you so you know this way and you know I I put together something that is for women's empowerment and it is a ritzy party, but it has so much meaning behind it and basically, We are meeting in Laguna Beach next year. Uh, It's for summer, July 17th to the 21st. And I've bought out a small hotel and we are immersing women in art therapy. Uh, We have all of these different demonstrators. And the goal of these projects is not to learn a new skill or to have a perfect project. It's to really get in touch with yourself emotionally as you experience the tactile nature and the colorful nature of art supplies. So we are working with water marbling and that class is called fluidity of thought. You know, our minds Mm. are like the paint. Mm. Uh, We're doing a body image study in clay. We're doing uh, stab therapy with wool roving and needles, you know, and it's, it's less about getting a perfect image or felt painting, but really, you know, the emotions you feel, and are you stabbing tightly? Are you stabbing what happens when you do it more loosely? What colors did you choose? How did they blend together? Uh, we're doing things with resin, we're doing things with paper and mixed media uh, just you name it. We've got a representation of some type of that art form uh, in there. We also have other segments. We have licensed therapists on staff there to coach and provide guidance. We have soulful leadership. Uh, groups where you know you you get your your values and your what's important to you in alignment with what you're doing. We also have body wellness like yoga, introductory yoga, chair yoga, adaptive yoga, uh, breath work, free form intuitive dance, laughter yoga, and then we're doing a lot of ceremonies. We have a flower mandala building ceremony where everyone kind of contributes intentions and flowers, candles, crystals. So there's a little bit of the woo in there. And then, of course, it's in Laguna Beach during the high season of summer. We are sponsored and invited by the Sawdust Festival to come in. So everyone gets free tickets to that. We have an optional outing to Disneyland and to the Pageant of the Masters. There are 100 spots, and they've been going pretty well. Like We don't have 100 spots left anymore, um, but I'm definitely still pushing the conference. There's a, a couple rooms left at the host hotel, a full hotel across the street. And uh, yeah, and just, I'm so looking forward to it. We have demonstrators and teachers coming from all over the world to come in and teach and it's all women. And then of course, there's a welcome party uh, the first night where I, I think people's minds will just be blown by how I'm overlaying this hotel with the wildflower theme and immersing them again in that dome of care and intent. and you know, it's a community of women. So we we stay connected after that. And we build friendships that are deep, meaningful and authentic.
0: Well, Christy, that sounds wonderful. I hope people will sign up, I will put a link in the show notes to that directly so folks can come and check it out. And it was just great talking to you learning more about you. So thank you so much for being on the Craft Industry Alliance podcast. Thank you. That's great. Thanks so much. And you've been listening to the Craft Industry Alliance podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Today's episode was brought to you by the Academy for Virtual Teaching. The Academy for Virtual Teaching is a community of creative entrepreneurs building proficient, profitable, and professional online teaching businesses. Are you ready to invest in your business by adding online education to your income stream? The Academy for Virtual Teaching can help you Overcome your fear of technology and use educational video as part of an effective marketing strategy. Learn how at a4vt.com. That's the Academy for Virtual Teaching. And check out the show notes for this episode to get a 30% off discount. Thank you so much to the Academy for Virtual Teaching. Craft Industry Alliance is a community for craft professionals. When you become a member of Craft Industry Alliance, you get in-depth coverage of craft industry news the opportunity to connect with fellow professionals for advice and support, and access to an educational library filled with ideas, tools, and resources to help you as you build your business. Join us at craftindustryalliance.org. Thank you so much, and I will see
1: you next time.